mute myself. Welcome to the Explominate Podcast. Welcome to the Exploring Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and joining me tonight is Drexy. You might have just heard him. You didn't hear me. It'll be gone in post, as the <laughs> professionals say. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll knock that out in post, you know. We'll, yeah, yeah. You know, don't worry about it, dude. We'll yeah, just clean it up in post, man. You won't even know what we're talking about because you won't even heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Sean, good day. Yeah, how are we going, boys? Hey, how are we going, boys? Yeah. We're good, man. How are you? Yeah, good. Been busy. There's a cyclone coming next week, so we're like preparing for that. So yeah, no, that's fun. But yeah, no, apart from that, just usual business. I have to tell you a story about that after we introduce Ben. Welcome back, Ben. Cheers, guys. How's it going? It's going well, sir. We're excited to talk to you and among the, actually everybody. I'm excited to talk to all of you, but I am eager to hear your thoughts on Dominion 6 since you've been playing it quite a bit. So we're going to dive into that. And we're also going to talk about the year that is 2024X. I know it's a lame-ass dumb coin term, but I coined it because it sounds cool and because it's actually 10 years for Explominate and 2024X makes sense because this year is going to be pretty damn good for our 4X. We're going to get into that. But before we do that, I want to tell you about the cyclone that I was in. So, because <laughs> I have to, because Sean brought it up. So, I was stationed in Okinawa in the Marine Corps in 2004. Yeah, it was 2004. I've been and there. I've been there. I've been there. Yeah, I, there. I know. Uh, we have to talk about that offline because there's so much cool stuff to talk about. But in Okinawa, the, the there was like this giant like Category 5 typhoon that came through and like sustained winds of like... I know, I don't know if you guys really know miles per hour, but it was like 140 or 150 mile per hour sustained winds. It was massive and it rocked the small little island of Okinawa. And thankfully, they just make shit like really pretty awesome over there. So nothing got blasted. But yeah, so there's this, there's just two stories I have. First of all, I used to smoke back then and trying to get to like the smoke pit in the Marine Corps because you, you couldn't smoke in the barracks. You had to smoke over where this like designated area was was literally like you'd have to like walk into the wind. I mean, like full on, like as if you were mountain climbing because the wind was so strong that if you weren't like walking with an intention of walking against it, you would not get anywhere. It was amazing. It was insane. I've never seen wind like it before in my whole life. And then because we're Marines and we're a bunch of idiots, there was this one guy who decided to take a, a large bed sheet and basically like prepare it like a parachute and see what would happen. And Without any exaggeration, he probably flew somewhere between 15 and 20 feet and broke his arm so bad that they had to get the medics to him. Uh, <laughs> it was so bad. But it was it was such a Marine thing to do to watch him like fly. And uh, yeah, he got in a lot of trouble for that because you're not allowed to, to damage government property. And he's definitely a government property. But yeah, it was amazing. It was insane. And that was my only experience with the typhoon. It just happened to be like a super typhoon. I was going to say, as soon as you said like the Marine government, the government property thing, I'm like, he's the government property, isn't he? But yeah, you know, what we do here, we're generally more, I don't know, we're kind of used to it. There was a, there was a category five here about seven years ago. 
And we were super chill about it. I just grabbed a six pack of beer, sat on the back step with the dog, and then watched all the trees get shredded in the wind. It was awesome until a chunk of our roof blew off. But yeah, apart from that, it was good. Apart from losing part of your house, it was awesome. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, and there was a really, really like it was. <clears throat> We don't get that strong winds here. Well, we do sometimes, but they're kind of rare. Uh, but we had this crazy gale force wind, and I was a child. So I must have been about eight years old. And I remember jumping with my coat out, and I must have flown back about 10 feet. <laughs> when you're like eight years old, that's quite a long way. <laughs> so I'm just imagining this Marine. He must have really flown, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might be actually under, like, under rating it because it, I just remember him going really far. Like too, way too far. Like immediately, all of us knew he was going to hurt himself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I mean, I'm telling you, I don't know if you guys have ever seen. I mean, Sean, clearly, it sounds like you've probably seen like 140 mile per hour winds, and like they're just they're so powerful. They're so like like there's such a, a force of nature that they're just all consuming. And this guy, I mean, I, I'm surprised he's still alive, honestly. Just to give some perspective of what it's like, last time there was one that hit. There was a. Uh unit block up the street from us right and there was this unit it was empty the couple had gone away on holidays we came out and we're doing some cleanup and we looked up the road and this unit building had just imploded apparently there's like negative air pressure because they had all the windows and everything closed and this this building quite literally just imploded on itself that that's the kind of force we're talking about that's crazy man like I, when I was in Japan in Okinawa uh, back in November December like there was you always get warnings everywhere about tsunamis and you know kind of like just natural disasters but all the houses over there like rob was saying they're all built so that they withstand that kind of thing like they're built to withstand earthquakes and um now they're all like i can totally imagine that those houses there would survive 150 mile per hour winds because they're just all they're all quite like quite interestingly built it's really crazy yeah they're very sturdy they're very they're very low to the ground too there's not many like tall buildings in okinawa either so yeah it, it's it's wild I, i'm I, like i said ben we'll have to talk more about okinawa when we're when we're offline because there's a lot of fun stories yeah man. so no it and yeah with that with that introduction of about gale force winds and very strong super typhoons we will talk about 2024x which so the reason i was coining this term and i actually wrote a cool little well i mean i don't know it was a fun little article i don't know if it's cool but it was fun to write and you know i have to do a part two because i realized i left out a lot of things and i just want to kind of lay out what 2024 is going to look like because for the most part it's going to be a banner year for forex games and i'm excited to see exactly the extent of what we'll see like the there's some stuff that i know of that are like it's on the precipice of being announced that i'm not sure if it's going to be a 2024 release or not but i'm just going to list some games off and i think most of these are going to be games that the audience knows about and that we've talked about in the previous you know episodes and stuff but we might dive a little bit deeper into some of them, but we have we have games like Alliance of the Sacred Sons, which I know is going to be coming out in 2024, and that's a game that we've been keeping an eye on for some time. We've had Steve on the show a few, a few times, and you know his his excitement for it is is contagious. So I'm I'm very excited to see what he's got, and he's it looks like he's overhauled the entire user interface and just made the game a lot more user friendly. So I'm hoping that the user experience is you know up to up to par and, and probably where he wants it to be, but. Then we also have Millennia, which is the C Prompts games version of a historical forex. It might be Paradox's answer to the Civilization franchise. We'll see. And then we of course have Zephon, which I think we all understand at the very least will be fun, if not like genre breaking, but it seems like it could be just a nice evolution of the Gladius formula. And then we have Revival Recolonization, which we'll be able to talk about a little bit here in this episode because a few of us have played it and I want to talk about it because I think it's doing something pretty special. 
And then, of course, a game that you're going to want to keep an eye on that I think is going to be probably the biggest release 4X related, or sorry, it's probably going to be the biggest release 4X wise this year, in my opinion, like at least budget wise, is going to be Aura History Untold, which is Oxide Games backed by Microsoft, which is, you know, again, maybe an, an attempt to like kind of usurp the civilization throne. And then, of course, we're going to have Age of Wonders 4 expansions. We have Distant Worlds 2, which is doing its thing. It's improving itself. And it's course, of course, it's going to be releasing Expansion 2. And then Galactic Civilizations 4 is going to be releasing a whole boatload of new content this year. And I'm probably missing other stuff. I mean, I'm sure Dune Spice Wars will have some more factions to release. And, man, I feel like I'm missing out on some things. because there's just like Distant Worlds 2 DLC? Yeah, the DLC and the expansion. So, like, there'll be the new race pack that they're expecting, and then of course they're going to go back and and we've talked about this. We're going to go back and and revisit the old base factions to make them better. So, oh, and then oh, that's right too. So, Interstellar Space Genesis, the third expansion, they have alluded to being out this year. I, I don't know why it wouldn't be out here out this year. So, it, they said they've been working on it since the summer of 2023. So, that's another thing that we could be excited for too. And with the you know constant updates to some of the games that are already out like old world again age of wonders 4 master of magic even the new master of magic we have dominion 6 that just came out and oh man there's just so many games that fit into this like this 4x slash grand strategy genre that we really like i can assume too that sins of a solar empire 2 will come out in 2024 considering how close they are to what feels like a version 1.0 considering that they've got like the majority of the factions in a lot of the artworks done the base game mechanics are pretty much there i mean there's still content and stuff and of course there's the, the two you know major factions left to implement or one major major faction and then the two sides of it left so yeah and then then yeah, i forgot even too we've got games like dominus galaxy that have come out like you know resurrected from the dead and he's working on that pretty much full time now and many more so I have dubbed this 2024X because I feel like this will be a banner year for 4X. Whether or not the games will have the impact that I hope they will is yet to be seen. I think we've already started to see the impact that games like Age of Wonders 4 and Galactic Civilizations 4 and you know all these other games that have come out recently. I think we already start to see where they're going to influence the rest of the genre. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just exciting. It's really an exciting time to be alive, in my opinion, because so many games are coming out this year. So many good games are, I think 2024 is going to be another just like freaking amazing year for games. So anyways, with that being said, the first game out of this list that I didn't even put on here, which I'm frustrated by because I just didn't think about it. Dominion's, this isn't on my radar like it is on y'all's, is Dominion 6. And our friend Ben has been playing it quite a bit. And I'm assuming, hey, have you been playing it, Drexy? Nah, I'm giving it a pass for now. Wow, what's wrong with you? I thought you liked those games. I do, but I'm just not in the mood for it. <laughs> you, I can't be in the mood for Dominions, and and uh, like a lot of games, this hasn't really <clears throat> changed as much as it has in the past. For example, when they, they switched to the Wego system, that was a massive change. I, I find this sort of um, just a nice sort of uh, polish release rather than uh, a, a major major difference between five and six, personally. Yeah, and I'll keep my opinions to myself too because I don't know the intricacies of Dominion 6. I'll say that from the outside looking in and completely uneducated on Dominions, that it looks like a very similar game. <laughs> so I just... Uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, 
I'll preface this. The the Ill Winter guys are always patching the game. It's like a constant development. And I've always been happy to buy. I've had from Dominions three, four, five, and then now six. Happy to pay them every, what is it, three years or whatever to, you know, so they can keep thing. Because what, what, what else are they going to do, really, they, other than maybe doing like a supporters pack? But uh, you can't really guarantee income from that. Um, I think the justification for 30, 35 quid, whatever it is, to keep buying the game if you're interested in playing it and you play a lot. Uh, just at the moment, I'm just not interested in playing it because I'm currently addicted to Shadow Empire, and that's sort of taken its spot for now in my mind. Right, I'll jump in too to say that the new roadmap for Shadow Empire seems pretty feasible too. And again, another game that's going to be getting a lot of love this year that may you know may end up being. Of course, there's no way to like. I, I can't imagine somehow Vic making the game worse. But again, by the end of 2024, I can I can say that like maybe even Shadow Empire being a much better game too. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. But I, I keep digressing because I'm excited. Go, go back. That's go. fine. I, I was going to say the same thing. Basically, we'll, we'll come back to Shadow Empire because there's quite a lot to talk about with it. Uh, I've not actually played that for a little while, but I have been playing Dominions. Just to address a couple of points. I think it's fair where people are looking at Dominions and going, you know, okay, what has changed? It looks very, very similar. Most of the changes that have happened in Dominion 6 over Dominions 5 are mechanical changes like most of the mechanics have changed in some way like they've gone through and overhauled the magic system for example and they've changed the battles to make them bigger so there's more troops so there's more reliance on kind of like rank and file troops for longer there's more nuance to the tactic the scripting in the battle there's loads of new ui stuff basically it's all gone into making like kind of like what i said about conquest releasing four to five it's changed the game and it's loads better i think the big thing for most people uh, I think that listen to the podcast. If you're not a multiplayer player, single player is way better now because we've got some really cool tools and the UI tools just make everything loads easier to play. So I think that uh, I, I absolutely understand. Like I'm the same as Rexy. I go on and off Dominions. Not that I never dislike it, but I, I go for months without playing it sometimes because it's kind of it's quite a time investment and it's quite a heavy game. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get it. Um, but yeah, it's my jam. Basically, I like Dominions. It's, I like your winter stuff. It's my they're my favorite games. So uh, I'm 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 enthralled with it. Sorry, Drexy, go ahead. Uh, no, I just wanted to ask because well, you've probably not got to the point, but you're saying the battles are now bigger. Um, <laughs> one of the biggest problems with Dominions is once you start getting to the late games and you have these super massive um, armies, scripting them is extremely time consuming and quite stressful making sure you're getting all your mages cast in the right spells at the right time. Uh, if it's even bigger now, surely that's going to make all that worse. Not really, because you've got more troops and there's definitely more space on the battlefield to have more mages and more commanders in. Uh, so that could potentially be a problem. The thing is, they've made mages a little bit more expensive. And so you got, you're, you've generally got kind of less mages than you had before, like a lot, I'd say. I think you're probably losing using somewhere between 25 to 50% less mages throughout most of the game, at least in my games. So there's less mage scripting. There's also the battle setup screen, which was something that 
you know kind of could be a bit time consuming clicking you know on all the stuff you can now it's now got some cool stuff like you can just drag and select a whole you know whole formation and move it so you don't have to move everything individually just little things like that where they've just made the ui loads better so it's actually loads quicker to play than dominions 5 was even and uh, there's like automation tools like you know auto site searching so um i think for people like just to summarize it, because I've got a habit of rambling and I'm going to try not to with this one. I think if you're a multiplayer player, you're going to move over to Dominion 6 because everybody's going to be moving over to it. And it is a better game, in my opinion. I don't I haven't played any I haven't played any competitive multiplayer. I played one co-op game with Daz Tactic and Lucid Tactics on stream the other night, and it was really good fun. Just you know, like playing against the, com- the computer. Uh D- Dominions, sorry, Ill Winter have added a new lobby, so you don't have to mess around with Discord bots or anything anymore. You can just like with Conquest of Elysium, now you can just go in game and click on a button and then you can set your game up in the game uh Ilwinter's website has got a little thing that'll tell you when your turn is just like the discord the discord bots so it's a lot easier to get into for new players i think multiplayer for single player it's got diplomacy so you can actually get out of wars now you know uh, the ai will it will actually tell you excuse me sorry one minute Sorry, guys. So the AI will now tell you how it feels about you, and you could do some basic diplomacy with it. Like if you're stuck in a war uh, with multiple people, which was one of the big. This like if you ask anybody who played single player a lot, they said the main reason why they stopped playing or they got fed up of it was because you were kind of locked into ever wars with people. That's not the case anymore because now you can, if you beat someone in beat, beat someone up enough, you can get a, a non-aggression pack with them, and the the computer will stick to that. So you know they're kind of binding non-aggression packs. So um, you can actually get the AI to back off and then finish off the other walls you've got. So it's much more strategic now. And um, yeah, so and there's loads of other stuff as well. Like the single player experience is just way better. The, get, the AI is much better. It, the, it will script the en- enemy armies or the enemy pretenders will recruit thematic looking armies. Which means that they're not just recruiting loads of kind of like indie made, you know, indie stuff anymore. You know, kind of like crappy militia and stuff. They don't do that so much. Uh, they will do where they need to, but the the enemy will now field armies that look and feel like a proper army. So, as a, for a single player experience, that's so much better because it's way more immersive, and the armies, the AI is much more effective in doing what it does. Um, so the expansion's been slowed down. Yeah, there's just loads of stuff. Basically, it's it's a better experience for single player, and I think if you passed on it before, because you've there's this kind of like thing that goes around in the Dominions community that kind of pisses me off, and that's the two things. One is Dominions has got a shit single-player game, and two, Dominions has got bad AI, and none of those things are true. Like, sure, there are elements of the AI that aren't perfect, and they're still not perfect in Dominions 6. There's, you know, I'm finding some little issues, and I think Illwinter will be patching it. And for, you know, stuff like the, the combat scripting, you've got mods and stuff for that. Like, we've always just used mods to kind of fix that, so it's just no biggie. <clears throat> So I think that you have to, when you're talking about the AI, you have to be like, what AI? Like the, if you're talking about the, you know, are you expecting single player Dominions to play like a multiplayer game? No, it's not going to do that. It's much better now. Like the AI will go for your capital with a big army and it will raid you in other provinces with smaller armies with, you know, raiding forces and mages and stuff. So it does play like a multiplayer game, but obviously it's not going to be using all the crazy tricks. One more thing before I finish. You can now script, you can now script the AI pretenders with pretenders that you've made, so they've got super effective blessers, and uh, that is going to be an interesting thing. I think that there's loads of more modding tools now as well. There's loads of cool stuff in it, basically. So, yeah, single player is way better. I think people are still figuring out what you know what they think about multiplayer at the moment, so I can't really comment on that. But I'm having a blast with it. I think it's really really good, and it's definitely worth the upgrade if you like Dominions. You heard it here first, and Ben has a review in the works. I don't know when it'll come out, but these things take time. 
Oh, so. oh one more thing. This is one more comment I want to make dead quickly. So I do, we do see people kind of coming in going, why am I paying 40, 40 pounds or, you know, 30 pounds or whatever it is for this game that doesn't seem to have changed much? You know, oh, the UI looks the same. The graphics hasn't changed, blah, blah, blah. Two points. One is that the reason why the graphics are minimal is so that Dominions can, add, so that Illwinds can add more content quickly. Plus it would take a long, long time, like years for them to go through and redo all the sprites. However, they have upgraded a lot of the sprites. The older ones that were a bit crappy and old looking, they've gone through and made them more high resolution and they've redone a load of them. So it looks loads better. The other thing is that most of the Dominions community don't want the game to change in a big way. Like they don't want like the game to be completely overhauled. So Dominions 6 is completely different to Dominions 5. Dominions 5 was an amazing game. They wanted more of that, but they wanted it upgraded, you know? So they didn't want a new game. Most people, the vast majority of people in the Dominions community did not want a new game. So you have to kind of say that to people because they're like, oh, you know, it doesn't it's the same game. It's like, yeah, but it's better. And they don't release DLC and they release patches or like, and they will release new content for the five-year cycle or whatever it is. I think it's about five years that, that Dominions... Yeah, I think Dominions... Five came out in 2017, I think. So it's been like, yeah, five, six years now. So, you know, you got you get a lot of you get a lot of content out of your money. I got twelve uh, twelve hundred hours in Dominions Five, so I got my money's worth from it. So yeah, I think it's worth reminding people of that when they're looking at it and going, no, it doesn't look like it's not very different. It's like, yeah, we don't really want a different game. We just want it to be better. I mean, I can say that about a lot of games, honestly. I, I it's weird because I I'm, I'm stuck between the desire for like new and engaging mechanics and just making the last game but only better. And, you know, like, I, that's, so that's the thing, right? Like you, you start to talk about games like that, where I think sins of a solar empire two fits very much into that category where they've just taken literally the same game and just make it look better, more streamlined, more 2024 friendly and people shit on that. But had they changed the formula too much, I think people would have shit on that as well. So it's like, I don't know. I, sequels are, are really like, you know, they're a mixed bag and, I think they're very hard to do because most of the time someone's going to want something that's not what the other person wants. And it's, it's a very difficult toe line to toe to make all the parties happy. So. I completely agree. Like talking about sins quickly, like since two, like uh, let's talk about sins rebellion. Yeah. I was looking on steam charts the other day and sins rebellion hit steam in what? 2012. And I think they were getting about a thousand players a day. Now, in 2023, uh, 2024, Sins Rebellion, a game that's, what, 12 years old now, is getting 500 players a day still. Now, that's partly through modding, but it's partly because the game is so damn good. So it will be the same. I will, I will use the same argument when, you know, there, there will be people who look at Sins 2 and go, oh, it's the same game. They've not, you know, it's just upgraded graphics. It's like the community do not want a completely radically overhauled game, I don't think. What they want is a new version that's night better to look at, more beautiful graphics, everything's, you know, like ramped up, and they've been they've, they've made the game mechanics better and more deep, but they're not going to completely make a totally different game because that's not what people want, in my opinion anyway. I'm not, like, talking as part of Stardock, uh, but, like, just my opinion. I don't think they're trying to make that game completely different. They just want to make it better for people who would like that formula. Yeah, I don't get that point either. I mean, would people say that about Homeworld 3? I don't hear people saying that about Homeworld 3. I think sometimes the, including myself, the Forex community can be overcritical of certain things like that, where, you know, games, big games like Homeworld 3 or whatever don't seem to get that sort of criticism. I don't know, I find it weird. Or the fucking 20th Call of Duty game that's come out in the past five years. Yeah, I don't think it's even restricted to strategy games either. Even like major old um, 
like FPS franchises like your Halo and stuff like that. Like some of these games have very old player bases, like twenty plus years old. And they you know, they've played all those games like throughout their lives as they grow up. And if you go and just make something completely different, you're gonna piss off your entire existing fan base or a big chunk of it anyway. So I get it. Like it, it is a balancing act. Yeah, you want to make something that's up to modern standards, but you also want to make something that keeps your existing players happy. And that's a pretty fine line to walk. So no, I can totally see where they're coming from. I do as well. And I, I think that part, this is part of a greater pushback against dodgy gaming practices in the sense that, you know, like we had c- companies like Creative Assembly who did some really, really shitty things, like made it a, a bit of a disaster of a release with Total War Warhammer 3, hyped it up for literally months and months using content creators and, and, and forbade them from actually telling the truth about the game until the game was released and everyone had bought it. And then like, you know, so these guys have been going, oh no, check it out, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then like the moment the game was released, all the content creators were going, yeah, this game sucks. It's, it's like really, really bad. We've been trying to tell you, but we've not been allowed to. That damaged consumer relationships and they're not the only ones by them just using creative creative assembly as one you know one example that damaged relationships with gamers and between big companies and gamers like irreparably in my opinion and so we you get this you know you're seeing in steam reviews now where people are holding you know they're they're really trying to they're holding they're hauling companies over the coals to make better games on release less buggy releases you know, you can't, like, if you release a game that's got bugs in now, even a few, you get roasted for it. And we, like, Galsiv 4 was kind of, like, even Supernova was kind of buggy on release. And we got, we got roasted for it. And, you know, there's, I think it's good that we got good feedback about that because it's, it's made Stardock fix the bugs, right? And, but the thing is, they're also, they, you have a lot of people who hold small developers like Stardock or like, you know, Illwinter or whatever to the same standards as they're holding these big AAA companies. And they're expecting the same kind of level of polish that a triple, AAA company can potentially bring out. And then you get stuff like Baldur's Gate 3, which, you know, I mean, it was in early access for years and it was dodgy as hell. But when it came out, man, that game's good, right? I've been playing it. It's awesome. Wonderful game. Still got loads of bugs in it. But it's, you know, people, they're expecting now every game to be like that, basically. And I think there are some people who are just, they do not, they, they're so entrenched in the culture war and in this kind of pushback culture of gamers against companies that they just can't understand the difference between, you know, Ill Winter, Ill Winter's iterative process of releasing a game, a new title every five years, updating the mechanics and not charging for DLC or anything like that with, you know, uh, you know the say the shit the creative assembly doing where they're pushing out DLC and charging over the odds for it and that kind of stuff. It's just not the same thing, and and it annoys me because I think like yeah, it's good. It, we do need people pushing back against dodgy gaming practices, absolutely. But fuck's sake, man, some of you need to lay down your swords occasionally because you know there's more nuance to it than this. So just kind of you know holding holding t- like small developers to account and, and wielding the same kind of like. Yeah, wielding the, wielding the same kind of argument against them that they're trying to use with other things that's completely unrelated. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it always blows my mind when people start to think. Like, I've actually seen people say that Stardock's a AAA company. I don't think really people understand what, like, the whole A's mean. But No. Yeah, it's funny. But anyways, uh, you know, before we start getting... Actually, Jax, you, you wanted to say something? Say it. No, I just went and say Ill Winter is... Um, fuck, I'm in it. No, I just went and say Ill Winter is a two-man company, right? So and they and like Ben said, they don't release DLC for their games, and you know they do some actually quite hefty patching on their games during their lifetimes, including adding a whole bunch of new races and stuff like that. So, thirty-five quid for an updated version, in my opinion, is 
every five, it's actually six years since Dominion 5 came out, is better than being milked for $15, $20 every six months that most other companies do with their games. So stop complaining, please. Jesus Christ. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. It's very true. But yeah, I, but I, you know, kind of going back to my point before, I think that, you know, it's just, I, I, I actually feel bad for most developers nowadays. And it's weird because I would have said that I definitely fell on the, the other side of this, this battle, maybe even just a few years ago, but now I'm starting to understand like, but well, first of all, like the development world is kind of shaky right now. And I don't know if you guys are seeing just how many people are getting laid off on the daily and how many actual like companies and, and publishing companies are, are going under. And so there's this, I mean, it's a very strong rat race right now. And when, when you have companies that are doing the right thing, but maybe aren't doing things to your, you know, made up standards and you're, you know, just whinging about it all over the internet, I get really annoyed by that stuff. So, and I, and I start to feel bad for these developers who are trying, you know, even, even I forgot there's a, there's one that, oh, even the city skylines two developers, I forgot what they're called. Colossal order. I think. They are they're they're actually like they just recently put out a post that they're considering pulling back from like interacting with the public because there's just so much vitriol, and I feel bad because like I get it, City Skylines two didn't meet your expectations, but they're working on it. And honestly, if you're going to be mad at somebody, be mad at Paradox because I can guarantee you that Paradox is the one that that forced that one out the door. So I it just it's so weird to me that there's this weird us versus them. It should be this weird, like it should be a, like a great, I mean, I know this sounds like pie in the sky, but it should be a, like a collaborative effort, right? We should all be ready to, you know, provide constructive criticism where it's due and, and praise where it's also due and just enjoy video games together. But people act like it's a damn personal attack sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But <clears throat> I think especially with these AAA companies, I think they've, they've just become unwieldy because it. They've employed too many people who are doing very over-specific... Sorry. <clears throat> They've employed too many people who are maybe not doing as much as they can actually do. I think it's good we're going through this period where these big companies are suddenly losing things because, I don't know, what am I trying to say? I think just think they need to refocus and I think... We've seen it in the whole of the tech industry, really. Like Google, you know, they made a lot of money and they suddenly just blowed themselves into a big well. And now, you know, you've got people sitting around doing... I'm not saying that most developers are just sitting around doing nothing, but I bet you could be much more pro productive if your process is more streamlined. Yeah, I would say that there's probably a lot of bureaucracy involved in making games at the moment, which means the the people who are actually doing the work are kind of stuck because the hierarchy of the company uh, and it, they're losing productivity. And this is where you get stuff like uh, the creative assembly sort of thing going on. You're dead right, Drexy. That's one hundred percent. Like, um, like I mean, I can I can talk for you know about how my company worked. But Stardock are notorious for working really fast. And uh, the other game developer that I worked at, they were also quite hard working, but they didn't they weren't they didn't go quite at the pace that Stardock does. But that's why Stardock's been going for like thirty years, and they're still quite a small company, but they're still going right because they they are expected to work really hard. And so they're not. Do you remember those Twitter videos that were you know videos on Twitter of these girls who were working at um, 
you know, uh, Twitter and all. Sorry, yeah, these videos that were going out with girls who were working at Twitter and going, hey, so this is my day. I'm going in, I get some breakfast, and then I, I work on my computer for half an hour, and then I, I, go, I go to the gym, and then I go and talk to my friends, and then I go to the gym again, and then I go and get a latte. So basically, they're doing fucking nothing all day. You are right. That, that, that has gone. The gravy train has gone. And look at Creative Assembly. How many people do they have? 900 people, I think it was. 900 people, uh, games developer. What the fuck were they all doing? Like, what were you doing with 900 people? I used to work at Eurocom, and Eurocom had like two, three, maybe 200 people. I don't know if it was even that. It might have been 150. But they put out like big AAA games like James Bond, Harry Potter, blah, blah, you know, all these big games, Crash Bandicoot, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, they, they worked, they, again, they worked hard, but they didn't have like people, they didn't have like crashes where, you know, people went and just started fucking, you know, drinking lattes all day and shit. Like, it just wasn't like that in the early 2000s. Yeah, I want to say one more thing, and I'll let Drexie say the last, and then we'll move on. But I will say that it's it's it, it. I think this year made it more obvious to me how poorly some of these companies are being managed, and it, it has to do with management, right? It has to be at this like almost like moderately high, very high level management stuff that's that's, that's fucking all these things up. Because you have a game, you have a, a game studio like Larian Studios, who is not very big. I think they're like three hundred people. That's still big. I'm not saying it's not, but they're not the largest company. They're certainly not an EA, you know, funded company or, you know, yeah, like you said, creative assembly or something like that. But they're, they're 300 strong and they made one of the best damn games of the decade. And the, the, the thought process there has to be like, what are they doing differently? What are they doing that, that these other companies aren't? And it has to be a vision. It has to be, you know, maybe the, the culture, it has to be the, the leadership and the direction and the vision that they have. And, when you have 900 employees, I think you start to lose that vision regardless. There's no way you don't dilute the, the vision when you have that many people working for you. So I don't know. I, I think there's there's no real like easy answer, but I do think that companies need to scale back a bit. I can't imagine 900 people at Creative Assembly all having like an important job. No offense. Love you guys. Well, actually, I don't know if I do, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you're right. It's, it's management and the, the, the trend has been... A lot of the management are guys who have come out from the private sector. They're not gamers. They don't understand games. They're just, you know, your run-of-the-mill corporate American sort of managers. And the other thing, they start implementing stuff in like, I've heard stuff like, you know, the, the artists can't go directly and just speak to the guy who are pro, the guys who are programming the animation. They have to go through a sort of a whole hierarchy and bureaucracy and submitting things to a Trello or onto Slack or whatever bullshit when they could just walk over to the guy and speak to them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's stuff like that, this sort of a managerial shit that's just taken over the games things that it needs to get back to people who love games, make games, and that's what Larian is. They're not some guys who came from working from Coca-Cola to come work there to you know manage a bunch of people they're actually people who enjoy games and love making games i think we should move on <laughs> yeah the well, larian larian studios is is like a pillar of the community so I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do next anyway so let's go back to forex game so the next thing is that we're going to talk about a little bit here because that's where sean comes in hopefully to save the day a little bit but we played a little bit of revival recolonization and the hope was to kind of well i did this little short video series unfortunately it's not really getting much in the way of views but i'm surprised by that because it's actually a very solid forex game and 
one of the people here is going to tell you that he didn't really like it or he couldn't really get into it. And that's fine. But I think that you could at least agree that the the gameplay itself is pretty solid. I mean, coming from a relatively unknown developer, the things that Revival Recolonization is doing is pretty cool. I'm, I'm just going to give you like a quick little rundown of what I think is unique about it. And you guys can add your two cents. But I mean, the, the main focus is you're first of all, you're in a post-apocalyptic world, a post-apocalyptic Earth, actually, where this all mind, this like robotic race has basically, you know, uh, rebelled an AI, you know, surprise, surprise, AIs over, over rebelled and have basically committed apocalypse. And everybody's like blasted back to the stone age. And, you are this almost magical being that has the ability to manipulate the terrain and, and terraform the environment around you to whatever environment or whatever climate you prefer. So at the very beginning, you choose to ally or even basically assimilate your first clan. And that clan kind of has, I think there's eight different types. And of those types... You know, like they can either prefer like, you know, tropical weather, they can prefer very hot weather. And with those, they have some, you know, strengths and weaknesses that come along with that. And more so too, there's also like the antithesis of what your tribe is, right? So if you are like a super hot tribe, you get like some cool things. You might be like better at manufacturing. You might have some other cool like attributes and stuff, but you're also kind of like, uh, like mortal enemies with the ice tribes, right? Because ice and fire, of course, don't meet match. But you choose them, and then you go along with this thing called the emissary, and you create your towns, and you kind of rebuild civilization. And the, in the process of doing that, you're also manipulating the environment around you through, you know, changing temperatures and melding those temperatures or m- molding those temperatures, I should say, to become the the climate that you need in order for your people to survive. And it's kind of cool because it will clash with the the climate that other the other surrounding tribes might need. And so there's a lot of tension created by that. But the, the things that I really enjoy about it are the climate stuff. There's also this like pseudo magic system that ends up being mostly climate, you know, manipulation or like weather manipulation, but it's basically just spells. And the tech tree itself too is also unique and that like very early on in the game you can start you know developing <laughs> like uh, giant mammoths with cannons and then you know the the tech tree progresses all the way to having guns and stuff and future tech so it's simple enough that it feels easy to get into but it's also unique enough that the like the setting and the things you're doing are at least you know, new enough that you're, you could be brought in. And it sounds like Drexy wasn't really, and maybe not Sean either, but I am. So Drexy, what are your thoughts since you didn't play it for long, but you still hate it? <laughs> I don't hate it. I think for me, I, well, A, I really did, did not like the tutorial. Um, it's sort of like a story-based tutorial. Oh yeah, that's the dog shit. Yeah, I've, I'm, it's a Forex game. It's not an... I, uh, JRPG. Just tell me how to play the game, please. Don't make me have to go through this sort of whole story thing. Uh, it j- me personally, maybe not for others, but I do not enjoy tutorials in a forex game about that. Um, B, it's it is very similar to Endless Legend. Um, grind. There's a lot, a lot of differences, but especially the combat. 
The combat is extremely similar to Endless Legend, and I'm sure Storm will talk about the barrels in it. But interrupt, <laughs> okay, I, I'm, I'm interrupt you though because like it, it's similar, but it's also different because it, you have full control of your unit, so it's fully tactical. I actually really like the combat, so I'm gonna stop you real quick just to say that I think the combat's probably one of the strongest parts of the game because it takes exactly what I like from Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes and throws it into this like sci-fi setting because I've always liked the the Fallen Enchantress battles were quick and easy, but not like, but there were still like some tactics to it, right? Like there, it wasn't just like, you know, you throw your shit together and whoever has more units or better units wins. It's there's some, some legit tactics to it. And we'll talk about the exploding barrels here in a second, but there's also, it's also quick enough that it doesn't take you from the game too much. And, and there's not so many battles every turn because you don't have so many units that it feels like it's just completely digressing from the actual strategy game. Like maybe a game of age of wonders does, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'll I'll admit I didn't play, I played probably an hour. So (laughs) I really probably shouldn't really be making things. Maybe I should be asking questions more than anything because yeah, that, that tutorial really sort of almost killed the game for me. And I think for me as well, I'm currently, the games I enjoy now, uh, I prefer to focus on the larger scale of things rather where forexes are at the moment, where the majority of them are focusing on you know your cities and stuff. I, I prefer to you know think about the whole empire. That's why I, I like in uh, Shadow Empire at the moment. Now I like games like Dominions and even Distant Wells um, too. The way it sort of plays is you've very much focus on the whole strategic map rather than on smaller scales that terrestrial forexes tend to focus on. So I've never been really a massive fan on these sort of Civ, Endless Legend sort of types of forex games. It sounds like you're kind of getting more into the simulation sides of stuff rather than the kind of more board gamey kind of games, which is probably why you're not so keen on Galsiv and that. It's like... Um, I like both of those I types agree, of games. Actually, why why I don't enjoy Galsiv, that's probably the reason, yeah. Go on. Sure. So no, no, that's the point. Like I think that, you know, um from what I, I haven't played Revival recently. I played it very, very early on when the uh, develop you know, when we last interviewed the developer and had a quick look then. And I thought, yeah, this is really, really early, bit early for me. I like the way it looks. It looks to me like another board gamey game, and Rob's kind of cemented it for me that I need to try it now because if it's got combat like Fallen, Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes, I love the combat system in that game. I think it's amazing. Um, I think it's the best tactical combat stuff that Stardock had done. Although uh, Brad assures me that Sorcerer King is better, but I just I didn't really get that far into Sorcerer King, whereas I really played it Fallen is. a lot. I'll have to agree with Brad. I think I think Sorcerer King was like an iteration of Fallen Enchantress where it, it finally just like came to its its head and i think that's the whole whole reason i actually got into sorcerer king i actually really enjoyed that game and i think it was ma- m- mainly because of the the great combat but sorry sorry not no worries uh i i agree and i i didn't i, I only stopped playing sorcerer king because i just had too many other things to do it wasn't because i didn't like it but yeah so i'm interested to see how this new game comes it like if it is very much like a board gamey style 4x game like it sounds like if drexy's not into it <laughs> then you know that that is a very specific type of game, right? To do the Civ style, you know, Master of Magic style kind of fantasy 4X or whatever it is, sci-fi 4X. It's not that easy. It's a well-established genre. You've got to do new stuff. You've got to push the genre a little bit. You've got to make it so that people don't feel like they're playing the same game over again. You know, like we've all played Enter's Legend now. We don't need to keep playing that one. 
uh, until Endless Legend 2 inevitably comes out at some point. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what's going on with this. Uh, a quick digression, and we'll come back to Revival because I want to hear Sean's uh, perspective. But actually, you know what? We'll come back. Remind me to come back because you said that, that thing about Endless Legend 2. We'll come back. Sean. Oh, my turn. All right. Uh, okay, I'll start with what I liked about it first. The weather effects are really cool. I really like it. Um, I like how they can be used on the overworld and in combat. It's got that dual use thing, kind of like almost like an Age of Wonders y kind of thing. I don't really know much about Fallen Enchantress, but um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. And it, I like how it interacts with the tribes, like you've said before, like some of them prefer certain weather effects. Because I played, I played the tutorial and then I played a couple of scenarios afterwards. And you'd run into tribes where there was a couple of them that just hated everything about me. Like they don't like anything I'm doing. But it turns out they really like acid rain for some stupid reason. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to plonk down a whole bunch of acid rain tiles right next to your town. And then suddenly they're happier with me. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like it works. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, but no, I, I like how, how the weather effects are integrated and how they interact with the different systems in the game. That was really cool. Uh, another thing I liked is the customization. When you are researching different things, you unlock new types of weapons and they all have positives and negatives. And then when you're making your units, you can change all of the gear they have. You can change their armor, you can change their shields, their uh, clubs, the boat, like different weapons and all that kind of thing as you're building them. So that was really cool because you can deeply customize what armor you're building and then maybe have them tackle certain tasks like specialize. So that was really good. Tutorial, I didn't actually mind the tutorial mostly. I'm not as much of a 4X guy as some of you, so I'm, I, I like having that little helping hand to really get the hang of systems. I can figure out most of it on my own just fine, but every now and then I might need a bit of a hand, and the tutorial was mostly pretty good at that. I did have some trouble where it doesn't explain how to do certain things. Like It tells you, put your emissary, take them all the way to the island and interact with this portal. But I don't know how to... I couldn't, it took me a bit to figure out how to do it, because I'm like, what do I do? Am I, I wanted to use the weather thing. I was going to try and freeze the water and freeze the path all the way to the island because I thought, you know, it, might as well use it, right? It's funny because I got that right away. <laughs> well, I couldn't figure it out. And then I'm looking at the dock See, and I'm like, do you build a ship? with these types of uh, tutorials, though, because you have to do a, speci- uh, uh, a specific thing to progress it. And if you don't understand the concepts, you kind of get stuck. Because I got stuck on some other things, so... This is why I don't like these types of tutorials. Yeah, but it was helpful with some things. Like, you know, it teaches you about interacting with the... I didn't read all of it because there was a lot of text dumps in there, but it was like, you know, it teaches you about interacting with the neutral factions and what makes them tick and that kind of thing. Like, I know most of it, but just that little bit of help was really handy. But, like, specifically this water thing, right? This kind of pissed me off because I'm like, all right, I can't freeze it because you try to plonk down a thing next to the water or in the water and you can't do it. And then I go to the dock and I'm trying to figure out, do I need to build a transport ship? You know, can I, do I need to build a boat to transport me to the thing? No. And then eventually I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. And then I just tried walking in the water and they, the, the emissary transforms into a boat. I'm like, how was I supposed to know it was going to do that? <laughs> so it's, yeah, I don't know. There's some things, like, I don't know how you'd really explain that in a way that's useful, but I don't know. that Things like that kind of bug me where it's just, you've got to, I could figure it out, but it's just something super basic that, I don't know, it, uh, there should be like a more obvious way to do it, maybe. I don't know um what else oh the combat yeah i i don't know i think the combat was a bit i didn't like i, I like the least i think because it's like more of a you know get more into the turn-based tactics than the 4x side of thing and it was pretty standard like there was nothing really wrong with it and i liked having like the in combat abilities like we were talking about before how you can use them on the overworld and in combat but you get in there and 
I get it's a post-apocalyptic thing, but why are there exploding barrels littered all over the landscape? Like you go in there and your side of the map has like 10 friggin' barrels and there's like one or two barrels behind every bit of cover you hide behind. And it's making your cover almost irrelevant unless you blow them up first. And then it just made it annoying. And then to that point, something that I thought was a good thing is the auto resolve is actually pretty fair because after the first few battles, that's all I used. The, the, the combat with the barrels was so annoying to me. I just auto resolved everything after about like half the tutorial. So really didn't like that. Um, what else was there? I think it's mostly like my big positives and negatives. The rest of it, I'm like neither here nor there. Like we had the tiles with when they have two resources, you have to clear it before you can use another one, which I was, I don't know, just felt a bit unnecessary. Like it was sort of like if you want to build one, maybe it just erases the other one for you. It's kind of nitpicky. Uh, I think that's the major points I got anyway. So. I'll leave it there. Yeah, I think oh, the... Tell us the, about the barrels, Rob. Tell us about the bloody barrels, Rob. Fuck the barrels. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I guess the, the AI left a bunch of bar- barrels around. I don't know. I, I guess I, that, that is weird. I mean, I think what the intention is, and I do like it, and I'm hoping that they expand on it, is that there's going to be more than one way to skin this cat, right? Like, and the... Like the the added elements to a combat map, making it like, okay, let's think about this strategically. If I can get, you know, if I can coerce these units to move close to these barrels and I'm going to blow them up with one, you know, like that's just, that kind of stuff isn't really used very often in a 4X strategy game with with results or with the, with regards to tactical battles. So I'm hoping that they expand it and not just make it just barrels, maybe exploding barrels and maybe like, you know, poison barrels and I don't know, whatever else they can think of that would probably add some more destructible things on the map. I think that's cool. I think that's a good idea. I just think they've kind of stuck with the barrels and never went anywhere else with it. So I I don't know what to say. There's barrels. I think maybe if they made the cover destructible or something, I don't know. Like, there's, there's got to be a better way than chucking exploding things all over the map, right? Like, if I'm playing a tactics game, let's say, like, your XCOM or, or your whatever, like, okay, there's exploding barrels on the map, but they're put in places that make sense, right? Like, they're kind of, you know, they're around the corner of a building down in some, you know, below some gantry or something like that. Like, they're, they're in somewhere that's kind of out of the way. If someone's dumb enough to walk near it, then, like, okay, shit happens. But, like, these things are just plastered all over the map. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I I think these are all things that can be fixed in in the the like the inevitable quality of life improvements that'll come. I mean, I, my main concerns with it right now are that they're the emissaries don't feel unique enough. I mean, there's there's some uniqueness. Like I, again, I'm an asymmetric fanatic. I mean, like give me my fix of asymmetry, man. I need my asymmetry, dude. Like I think the emissaries could use like a very fun. They're adding emissaries in the next update. And the next update also specifically states that they're going to add more asymmetric qualities to these emissaries. So I'm hoping that that this new, this next update, which will probably be the last major update before they come to 1.0 does exactly what I need it to do. And then of course the quality of life stuff, like you guys are talking about, like, yeah, let's make the barrels make sense. Right. Let's put the barrels in places that they would actually, you know, congregate and let's kill them with that. Or think of ways to use them more tactically in combat. And then the other stuff, I think the the tutorial is due for a makeover. I'm pretty damn sure that's definitely on their list. They've they've made it clear that that's not what they're you know. It's just a real rough one, and it's not the best way to learn the game, in my opinion. I think that you can learn it real quick and then get into an actual game and enjoy it much more. I mean, I can see why you guys might not like the game or maybe didn't have favorable impressions because that tutorial is crap. But the actual game itself can be a lot more fun. And then the the rest of it is like. 
you know, it's just mostly quality of life stuff. There's some UI stuff, user interface, user experience stuff that I was complaining about in some of my videos that I I just felt kind of, you know, it felt a little indie to me. But I think there's something here. And I'd like to see, I mean, like like Ben said last episode, you know, 85% positive review rating on Steam is a pretty damn good achievement. So I think there's there are people who like it. So you guys are in the negative or in the the minority and so you can go fuck yourself <laughs> no i'll just end with um i'm not saying it's a bad game um it's very well the graphics look actually really good it's you know up there with stuff like spell force elo overlap play game on school that sort of thing and it's only like a single guy or a couple guys so this, this again it's a very small studio that's come up with this and it's just not for me and but like you said, there's plenty of positive reviews on Steam, and I think it will be for plenty of other people. It just wasn't for me, but I don't think it's a bad game. I wouldn't say it was a bad game, just not my style of game. I want to play. Yeah, I think I'm more or less in the same camp as Drexy. I don't think it's a bad game by any means. And if they do the updates, like you're talking about, how they're going to the asymmetry and that kind of thing, I think that's a really good move because I think it's, I'm definitely not going to say it's a gimmick. It's not a gimmick, but it's almost unique strength is leaning into that asymmetry with the abilities that work on the map and in combat and all the different effects and how it interacts with the neutral factions and all that kind of thing. I think that's its strength and they need to lean into that. And yeah, apart from that, like, you know, it's got some things that irritate me, but it's not bad. Uh, I think it's just, yeah, not really my jam, but I would like to come back to this maybe when it hits 1.0 and really get into it then and see how it is. Yeah, maybe I can I can convince you guys to play it past the tutorial once it hits version one point Hey, I played some of the some of the scenarios past the tutorial. Okay, well, scenarios are dumb too. Don't play the scenarios. You want to play like an actual, just like freeform game. But anyways, all right, let's move on. So there's two other things that I want to talk about. First of all, I forgot to mention that I actually very genuinely, very strongly believe that Civilization Seven will either be announced or announced and released this year. So I think that's another addition to our 2024x because we're due for it. They clearly say that they're working on it, and I just can't imagine this year going by without any sort of announcement about it, but I also think it's going to be released, so which will put it in competition with another big game that I want to talk about. So our uh, History Untold, which just had a very lengthy developer diary spent, or I, I guess it was like a, I forgot what they call it, but like X, X, Xbox, Xbox slash... Xbox Direct or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Xbox Xbox Direct. I Something. forgot. Yeah, I wish yeah, I had like a direct. I'm pretty sure, like the Nintendo Direct. Okay. Yeah, it was. It was. Like it would, no, it wasn't like the Nintendo Direct because it actually spoke to the developers of these games. It was. I'm sure it was just called Developer Direct or something. It was. Like it was Developer Direct. I just found it. So, the cool thing is, I didn't know that Microsoft had so many first party first party titles coming out this year. I think that's pretty exciting. So, our history untold, Avowed, which is Obsidian's new. Uh, fantasy role-playing game visions of mana which looks freaking awesome in my opinion i'm a big mana fan uh Senua's saga the hellblade and then indiana jones um both all four of the or five of those games in the developer direct looked really great but our history untold being the one that we're most focused on and you know you saw a lot of things in there and if you rewatch it over and over again like i did you can tell what the stuff is it's going to set this game apart so first of all there were like 30 different leaders in this game i think that's probably an exaggeration it was like at least 15 to 20 so you have at least 15 to 20 different 
factions in this game, which I think is really great to start a game off with that many factions. And they're all unique enough. They all have their own strengths. And they're also... Okay, Drexy, what do you got before I go into this? Sure. Well, okay. My only issue with this direct thing is they didn't really... They focus very much on your city and stuff like that to the point where it almost felt like they were selling it as a sort of um, city builder, city management sort of game rather than a forex game. <laughs> they didn't really show anything outside of cities. I mean, what they showed looked really good and I'm pretty excited for this, but I just found it was strange. They sort of, I think maybe there'll be some people who are thinking it's going to be very different to what it actually is because they're very much focused on one single element of the game, which I found weird. Well, they did go into detail about the fact that you can win in any way you want to. So you get prestige points from accomplishing things in many different areas of a civilization's progress. So you can focus on, you know, making your culture very you know, prestigious and, and pretty looking by building wonders and you get, you know, you get what they call them triumphs in this game and you get points for those, or you can really focus on your science and you get prestige for, you know, achieving science, you know, like many victories throughout the game. And I think I can't I'm trying to toe this NDA line. Cause I do know a lot more than that damn thing showed. <laughs> That's so. the problem. It didn't, it didn't show You're saying that, but it didn't actually show any combat. It didn't like, Oh, it did show combat. Explain. Rewatch it, it again. I have to watch it again, but it didn't show much. It, um, it, it didn't showed. really show a lot of what you expect when you're exploring the world and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of get a humankind kind of vibe from it. Sorry. <laughs> that was my main thing. Okay. All right. Let me... Uh, God dang it. All right. Let me just say this. The game is very different from humankind. I can't tell Good. you in all Good. the ways that it's different, so. but it's... Okay. I, I think the best way to describe it, and I think you can get this from the trailer, would be that it's a grand strategy 4X game, right? It's got a very... Broad, I mean, it's it's very much a forex game. I'm not going to go with this grand strategy forex game. They 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 described it like that, but it's very much a forex game with a focus on your cities. Yes, in a way that most other forex games don't. Right. So but, that that perception is right. Okay, yes. The but. Yes. But what's the but? But the things you want from a forex game are all still there. You know, you still want your combat. It's very much there. The way you create combat units is unique. I can't say what it's like, but it's unique. And it also makes it feel less micromanagement. micromanagement. Yeah, I kind of got that because it's it's, it's almost like a crafting system in it, right? You, you kind of... Yes, so they did say about that. So I'm, I'm glad yes. they talked about that because I, I didn't want to say anything about that until... Like, that's going to be one of the most unique aspects of this game is this crafting system. So like nearly everything you want to build has to be the parts of it have to be crafted and in order to craft those pieces you have to have the natural resources on the map and access to them to craft things so it's almost like a supply chain from anno right like you have to get like this thing to get this thing to get that thing but there's also what i think is a really solid there are ways around that i will say that i can't say anything more but there are ways around it if you don't necessarily have the supply chain perfectly set up the supply chain makes things easier but it doesn't always have to set up the most 
ideal way in order for you to build the things you want to build. I think that's going to be where the big draw is, is that it, A, it's, it's extraordinarily well produced. The graphics are seriously top notch. The, 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 there's a lot to do. Like I've played some 50 hours of it now and I have barely scratched the surface of this game and it's still very much in beta. And they said in the, the video, it's coming out in fall of this year. So they've got plenty of time to really polish this game. But I think what you're going to find is a game that is very much a Forex game that very much has all the aspects of a Forex game that you want with a focus on city building and crafting that makes it a unique experience. Right. So can I just quickly ask, would it be fair to say that it's not just a civilization clone? It's actually a Forex game that's similar to, yeah, like city sort of uh, games like Anno. We mixed in with a forex is that right to say i'd say it's a yeah i'd say if you wanted to put it into one sentence it's anno meets civilization so if that sounds cool to you and it's maybe even cooler than you think it is then i think this is a game you should watch now there's there's also other stuff that they haven't really talked about and i'm not going to say anything because i don't want to break nda so I, I think that this is a game that we will really want to talk about as things open up and i think they're going to start opening up a bit with with uh, with what what clearly is their their targeted release date, I think they'll start to open up a bit more about what's going on. So we'll be watching it. Like I said, I think it's going to be one of the biggest forex releases in some time. It's got a huge publisher behind it and a talented studio. So we'll see how that shapes up. See, I'm not usually that bothered about graphics in games, but if the graphics are put front and center like they are with we saw in that video for Ara, then that looks pretty good, man. Like I think that people, you know, people who like those kind of like high production forex games you're gonna you're gonna struggle to go back to older games after playing something like that that looks like that because that was mind-blowingly good yeah they they call it the living world and it's something i think is probably the most one of the more man i keep saying this because it really is but it is it's one of the most like uh, unique aspects of the game too in that like you can zoom in on any part of the map and like people are doing things and they're all procedurally generated. So like there's all these like cool procedurally generated spots in a map where you'll see, you know, animals migrating, you'll see predators doing their thing. And then when you start zooming in on your, your cities, you're going to be able to like, actually you saw this too in the, in the video, you like, you, you zoom in on your cities and you see the people doing the things they're supposed to be doing. And it just looks really cool. And it feels really very, very immersive and very realistic. And, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm ex- I'm super excited about this title because I think it's going to be one that catches a lot of people off guard because there's just not enough talk about it really, which is wild. Yeah, that that bit with the animals and stuff like that, it does look really good. It, it is super detailed um, and I'm glad it's not just what it looks like at first sight that uh, it's just going to be another, you know, civil-like game. Um, there's, there's a lot of interesting things. I just wish they showed... A bit more outside of, I, I, I understand why they showed they focused so much on the sea because that seems to be uh, a big part of this game and it's also very impressive looking. So I'm not surprised. I just wish I just wish there was more info outside of that. That's all. I think this was the first time they pulled back the curtains enough that they. I, I'll say this too. There's so many things that you know how it is, right? I, Anybody who's in game development or who's like beta tested a game, especially when they're still, you know, somewhere between, I'd say seven to nine months away from release, that 
there's still a lot of working products or like working concepts that maybe aren't fully, you know, uh, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're just not fully fleshed out. There you go. So there's some things that you like combat is not complete right now. So I think they kept the, this like the, the hints and the show, the like quick little, you know, videos of of combat to a minimum because it's not completely there yet but the idea will be to kind of almost watch you know a a pseudo total war thing occur where you have two enemies like kind of colliding and the 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 armies have formations and stuff like that it's it's pretty cool i don't want to get into it too much because you saw what you saw that's it so yeah um, i mean the combat's gonna have to be quite like like you said, almost like uh, Total War. If the if when you zoomed in that close, it's that detailed. You can see, you know, individual people walking around and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not to the level where you're actually like using. You're not having RTS battles, but you can see these very cool. I mean, you just watch the video. You'll see it. Watch the video again. There are clips of the actual combat, and it's it's a really cool, really unique experience. So, we lost Ben. Ben's internet is gone, so right. we're going to wrap this episode up without him. God rest his soul. R.I.P. Ben. R.I.P. Ben. So, if I'm getting the broad strokes of this, I didn't actually watch the video. I completely forgot about it. I knew there was a direct, but I meant to get back to watch it, but it's not time. Um, so, if I'm getting the broad strokes of this, it's a 4X, but it's also got supply chain stuff, kind of like Anno, and it's got battles like 4X. Is that about the the whole broad strokes of it? They're battles like Total War, but their battles are not nearly so there there is no interaction with your individual battalions or anything like that. And it's just you know, actually the best way I could say is if you guys have played Oriental Empires, when you saw like the two armies collide in, in Oriental Empires, it's like a triple A version of that. Okay, so it's like I haven't played it, but it so you don't have interaction with it, so it's sort of like a streamlined thing where you just set them up and then they go do their own thing. Well, it's like it's almost like a two civ armies colliding, but when they go to battle, you can zoom in or you can go to like the combat view of it and see like very detailed battles with individual units like striking each other and cavalry running in and cannons firing and shit. That's sick. it's it really is. <laughs> so it's like it's on the tile, but you can zoom in and you can see the battle going on the tile. Is that is that it? Yeah, and it's, they're not tiles, they're territories, but yes, that's what happens, yes. Okay, so that's pretty sick. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, I, I would recommend anyone who's listening to this, go watch the direct, because you'll get an idea of what the hell I'm talking about. This is nothing I'm saying that's not outside. This like this video clearly depicts what I'm talking about. So, And if I've done anything to piss off at NDA, then please let me redact it. But I don't think I have. I've done, I've only talked to, I'm trying to watch this video as we speak so that I know exactly what I can say. So I think you guys are going to really like it. I really do. I think Sounds it's going to cool, be then. something really unique. And there's a lot of streamlining that makes the game just really fly by, including simultaneous turns that I think are. Oh, pretty- yeah. Yeah. That sounded like a really good idea. Yeah. Oh, it's a godsend. Ti- turn times are very fast, even when you're like super deep into the game. So, yeah, I appreciate that too. Simultaneous turns is even, even when it's not in a real time game, something like Gladius, when we're playing multiplayer with the simultaneous turns, it just runs so much smoother it's like a whole new game so no it all sounds really cool i'm keen to hear more about it now yeah that's, that's definitely stuff we're gonna be watching so and again i think that people don't understand the like financial power 
behind Microsoft when they are there. I think they're really interested in making this a civ killer or at least a competitor, like a competitor with, with civ. And in the video, they make it very clear that once they actually release our, that's just the beginning of this game. And I, I can't wait. I just, it is absolutely my most anticipated game and I've already played it for a lot, a lot of hours in a very rough state. And I just, I can't imagine that the, the version 1.0 of this game won't be a, a fantastic game i just can't I, I just don't see a world or a universe where that exists yeah i just want to say um yeah i'm I, i'm what i saw was really good and i know I, I i like to push back a bit but i'm i just i'm worried i'm sound a bit too negative sometimes i just but i just want some really good games kind of, and there's been so many disappointments that i'm always a little bit more worried than you are of of stuff well that's okay. coming out I'll say this too, right? They they make a point of saying that they're working with gamers to make sure these games, the, the things that they're doing make sense, right? And there is like this council of people who are playing this and they're getting pretty regular builds and we're giving pretty harsh feedback about things that don't work. So, and they're acknowledging it and they're changing it. So there's there's been this like really cool back and forth between us and Oxide where like, like he said, or he or she said, both of them, said, everybody said about the, the tigers or the panthers or whatever. Like there was a point at which like these panthers would come out of nowhere and like maul your entire citizens, you know, like they'd kill all your scouts and stuff like that. And it just wasn't fun. And they were like, oh yeah, wait, we'll fix all that. And they did a good job of like responding to that kind of criticism and making the game much more fun. And I think what they did, what they ended up coming to with the system, I can't talk about because they didn't say anything, but I think the, the end result is actually really fun. Oh yeah, Ben's back. <laughs> we told we told everybody we lost you, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're just talking again. I love it. Right, but uh, see, I, I kind of understand it in a way because stepping out of the Moo Stroke Civilization mold is very risky. Um, <clears throat> I mean, Humankind is a perfect example of that. They tried to do something new and absolutely fell flat on their faces. God, I, I have, you know, and I think that's why, so I, I, we didn't talk about millennia very much, but I want to talk about millennia real quick and then we're going to fucking stop this. But like, that's why I think, I think millennia actually took the best part of what humankind was trying to do and fixed it and made it better because you keep the same culture. Like if you're the Germans, you're the Germans throughout the entirety of millennia. Right. But you, you'll end up choosing culture paths or strengths that are very much in line with what the the cultures and humankind were doing without the like jarring like holy shit we just went from the like persians to the japanese and like you know and everything changed about our look overnight right like that stuff's gone with within millennia and instead you you're able to choose those perks instead so like you choose basically a skill tree at each era and you become like specialized in a particular side so like I said, it's very much like what humankind was trying to do, where like if you went from the Egyptians, which were like a building, like manufacturing type culture, to the Japanese, which might have been more of a militaristic culture, you're you're not you're not like I said, you're not changing your entire look overnight. It's just that you're now, you're now focused on this new era of your civilization being more focused on that particular like you know way of of surviving or way of you know being a civilization i don't know i don't know how to say it best but 
it, it just took the best thing about humankind and made it much more plausible and much more easy to digest. And I think millennia just knocked it out of the park. So I think humankind, when it comes out to, so I don't know if you guys know this, but they just announced a complete edition, which basically just means they're fucking done with it. So that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, that's disappointing because like, I'm pretty sure they had more. Oh, to planned. be honest, I thought they were done with it years ago. I haven't heard anything from that game since it was released. Well, they did, a, they did an expansion and then some DLC and i was hoping for like i was hoping for more but it didn't happen and, I, and I, it was their best-selling game ever so i just wish that they had like i don't know amplitude is just a different studio than they were before but anyways when humankind 2 eventually comes out and it will i think that humankind 2 needs to take that same idea of like you know changing your culture but but not making it so that your culture just flips on the dime at, right. at a button press. It was so weird. It is weird. And I think <laughs> that so I, I like the idea, right? I like the idea that like each era you're able to focus on something different or you can continue to be that same thing. Yeah, like but it, it should you should evolve into something. You shouldn't just – it was just so jarring just flipping into oh, – what? Did I start a new game? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I said, like going from like the, you know, the goose-stepping, you know uh, – prussian army you know prussians to like the you know uh, very pacifistic siamese right like it just didn't make any sense and the, the entirety of your look changed like from you know war banners everywhere to like peace symbols and everything and it just i'm like what the hell I, it's very jarring it didn't make any sense but i do think that the the like focus for each new era of the game was cool and they could take that system and make it more like that, or they could even stick with what they've got now, but make it more of a gradual thing, right? Like maybe at the beginning of an era, you decide the like look and feel of the next era and throughout the progression of the era that you're then playing, you slowly start to evolve into what you're about to become. I, I don't know. It, it, there's, there's a lot of ways they could fix what they did, and I'm hoping that they can iterate on that process and iterate on the, the 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 decent ideas that were in humankind and make them more palatable and definitely less jarring yeah because you've researched tech to actually get to that point and you didn't just press one button and right it's very gradual yeah yeah it's it's gradual like you start to see like yeah I, I, right your civilization might have started with cavemen but it you know the fact that eventually it has you know fighter bombers and stuff like that there was a this a lengthy process between them I think that that's where the humankind screwed up. So I'm ex- excited to see what that's hap- what's happening with it. And I, I'll just quickly bring up what I was talking about with Endless Legend Two. There's speculation that that's what they're working on right now because I guess Brad Wardell of all people dropped the fact that Derek Paxton, who was of course uh, Kale, who the, the the main mind behind Fallen Fall from Heaven and Fall from Heaven Two, who he brought on to fix Elemental, and then also had publicly said that he'd promised to give him the opportunity to make a Fantasy Forex. Well, Derek Paxson is now at Amplitude Studios, and so the thought process now is like, well, what the hell does Derek know other than fantasy? So Ooh. there's a lot of speculation as to the meaning behind all that, and. You know, our the 4X gaming subreddit is you know was running rampant there with speculation, and I, I won't comment on what I do know, but that's that's the the thought process is that if Derek Paxson has left Stardock to go to Amplitude Studios, that surely he's making a fantasy 4X game over there. Sounds good to me. 
Anyway, that's a lot of speculation, a lot of talk. I think this is a great conversation, actually. So, well done. Well done, boys. Had great. Yeah. No, we're glad you came back. I was like, oh, shit. Well, there goes Ben. All right. We actually said RIP Ben, and we were F in the chat for Ben. Would you? <laughs> well, your body will serve a purpose, Ben. Anyway, on that dark note, let's end this episode. <laughs> this was Rob, Drexy, Sean, and Ben for Explorates. Until next time, keep exploring.